I'm sorry, I uh, didn't. Okay. I have to stay there, right? Okay. <laughs> what do you say, Ann? <laughs> so if you if you feel like you need to leave, please. No, no one will think uh, badly of you. It's okay. We understand. Um, but otherwise, uh, let's hear what God has to say to us. So I started to say, I'm sorry, I, I didn't get that. Would you say it again? And those are words or ones like them that are often heard in my house these days. And the truth of the matter is I'm often the one who's saying them. Uh, I'm not sure what's caused this phenomenon, but I have noticed that most people do not talk as loudly as they used to. And even the radio and television signals are not as clear as they once were. My wife has a different explanation, something about my age and being hard of hearing, but I'm pretty sure it's not that. Uh, people just need to speak up, and radio and television needs to be tuned uh, up uh, to a normal volume. I, I really don't understand why my family sits around the TV in the living room with the picture on it and no volume at all. I, I, I thought maybe they're practicing reading lips. But since I am not at all interested in reading lips, when I want to watch TV, I turn the volume up to a normal level, and then I get complaints that it's too loud, to which I reply, what? Speak up, don't mumble. So I haven't yet figured out what the cause of this is, but in the meantime, I have TV ears, which allows me to hear the show while my family sits around and watches the picture. Anyway, I do know that some people are hard of hearing, and they often have to ask others to repeat what they just said. And, and sometimes uh, we have to repeat something, not because the person didn't hear the words, but because they didn't understand them. Uh, they didn't uh, comprehend it the first time around. So sometimes the doctor has to repeat bad news because it didn't sink in the first time the patient heard it. And the opposite kind of thing can also be true. Sometimes someone gets a piece of good news and they, they need to hear it again because they just can't quite wrap their mind around it until they're told again. So sometimes uh, we have to repeat something because the person really didn't hear it. And sometimes we have to say it again so the meaning has time to sink in. And sometimes we have to repeat something, maybe using different words because we didn't make the meaning clear to start with. The person has heard it well enough, but it doesn't register because the idea is not stated clearly enough. And, and I'm afraid that that may be the case when it comes to last week's message. We, we talked about last week, if you remember, an open door, which I believe that Jesus Christ has set before our church, a, 
a, a door which he opened for us and which nothing in all of the world can close. And, and we said we need to go through that door since Jesus opened it for us, and we need to go through that door by faith. And that much, I think, uh, was clear. And, and I hope that most people um, got, got that part. Um, the part, at least, that some did not understand was the door itself. Um, just what open door has Christ uh, put before this church? And the answer I gave last week is it is the open door of ministry, which it is. And I think the confusion arises because people wonder, how is that different from what we have already been commanded to do? I mean, after all, haven't we always been told we should witness and reach out to others? So how is that any different now? What, what does it mean that we have this open door set before us, this open door of ministry? And I've tried to think of, um, of some different ways by which I could communicate just what that means. Uh, maybe it would be something like this. Someone who had learned to play the piano uh, by reading the notes, the music, so that they were kind of proficient at it, but they, they played the piano kind of like a person would type. Uh, there's no feeling in it. And, and suddenly they, they have this ability to hear music with their ears and hear it in their head and in their heart and, and what they're hearing begins to come out of their fingers. Or, or, or maybe we could think of a person who loved to play baseball and was really pretty good at it, but, but they weren't fast enough to really compete at the highest levels. And, you know, they say speed is not something that you can teach. And yet that person all of a sudden gets fast and so he can really play baseball. Or maybe we could even think of, uh, of a slave who was given his or her freedom. And all those things that, that that person had done when they were a slave, it did because they had to do. They now can do because they're free to do them. But maybe all of those things uh, in some way miss the mark because they're too much about us. <laughs> maybe the best way to think uh, about it is to remember back to that Bible study that many of you may have done called Experiencing God by uh, Blackaby. And, and even if you've never done this, this study, you, you can get this idea. Blackaby says what you need to do is find out where God is working and then go join him. And if you do that, you find yourself advancing the kingdom of God. God's already working there, and you're just coming alongside of him. You're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Well, that's what this open door is. I, I believe. With all my heart, I believe that Jesus has been at work here. He has built this church. He's gotten us to this place where he can now use us in significant ways. The training time is over, and boot camp is in the, the rearview mirror, and it's time to serve. There's a world out there who needs Jesus Christ, and there are other people out there who need building up, and we have this open door in front of us which Christ opened which we must walk through by faith if we're to go through it at all but if we do that real things will happen I, I believe we will begin seeing God work in amazing ways if we simply walk through that door now, I think it's a crass way to put it and I hesitate to say it because we may misunderstand it, but maybe it's worth a risk if it gets the point across. 
You see, I think this open door is God saying something like this to us. I'm going to make your efforts successful. Now, we don't always measure success the way God does, so that's the danger. Uh, We may be successful at something and at some times and not really realize it, but there will be times when we will be successful in God's eyes and we're going to know it in our heart and we're going to see the results happen right in front of us. So if we're willing to walk through that door, we, we will have, in a sense, our own personal Pentecost where God's Spirit is going to come upon us in power for the good of others. And we'll see God work through us and we'll recognize that it is not by our might or not by our power, but by God's Spirit, just as he said. That's the open door that we talked about last week. And the truth is, not every church has that in front of them. Last week you mentioned that out of the seven churches, only one of them had that door in front of them. One of the others was already through the door and doing everything that could be done. So not every church has that opportunity. So for those of you who did not understand from last week's message what the open door meant, I I hope this clears it up. And if you still don't get it, then all I can tell you is come and see me and let's talk. But but I've repeated it using different ideas, and I I hope I've communicated it in an understandable way. And I suppose there there may have been some people here who needed the repetition because, like other good news, we often need to hear it again to really appreciate it and to embrace it. And for those of you who have uh, maybe were in that boat, I, I hope you see now, and I hope you really are thrilled at what God has set before you and before this church. Yet, I I do suppose that there are some people here that might have a different concern. Uh, They may have heard the words clearly enough, and they may have grasped the meaning well enough, but they're wondering, well, what they're wondering is, is it really true? (laughs) Do we really have this open door set before us? Maybe you even want it to be true, but you're just not sure. Which really brings us in a kind of indirect way to today's topic, which is the last of the seven letters uh, to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. I'd like you to join me there, if you would, please. It's Revelation chapter um, 3, verses 14 through 22. Uh, It'll be up on the screen, I think, in just a little bit on either side of me. Uh, but if you can, join me in that text. So here's the deal. Um, if I'm wrong about this open door, then I am, even if no one else here is, I'm very much like this church in Laodicea, this church that we're going to look at today. And of all of the churches that uh, we could be like, this is the one that's least flattering of them all. They, we don't go to there. We just don't want to go there. See, verse 17 describes that church in this way. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
If there's no open door in this church, then I'm very much mistaken. I'm like these people here in Laodicea. I believe something to be true, which isn't. And the Laodiceans believed that they had it all together. Seemingly, they think that they were like the model church that all of Christianity should have looked to them as an example. And yet the sad truth is that they can be best used as a bad example. Now, if you remember back to that letter that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the letter to this church at Sardis, um, we saw that the people in that church were, they were playing the part of a hypocrite, right? But uh, they, they, they were pretending to have it all together, but they really knew that it was just a pretense. And nothing that Jesus said to them in that letter really surprised them. But when you come to this letter here, the people in this church really had no idea what they were actually like. Jesus told them that they did not realize the truth about themselves. And that truth was really terribly unflattering. It's a place you wouldn't want to go. Verses 15 and 16 give us real insight into how this church appeared on a spiritual plane. Jesus says about them, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that word spit would probably be better translated as vomit, so that the passage would read, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. And those really are pretty strong words expressing Jesus' real displeasure with that church. Now, real quickly, I want to make sure that we kind of understand what's really being said here when Jesus is talking about the, the hot and the cold and the lukewarm nature of that church. And you see, in our culture, we often refer to a church that's really living its faith as being on fire from God. We'd say, that church is hot, right? And then there are others uh, where they're not living the faith, and we talk about them as cold or dead, um, that's not what Jesus is referring to here. He's not saying that he wished the church was either really on fire for me and really living the faith or they were just plain dead. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's really saying is, is that they don't bring refreshment to people. They don't help people and they don't help him because of it. So one commentator puts it this way. The contrast is between the hot medicinal waters of Hierapolis which was a city near Laodicea, and it was famous for its hot springs. People would go there to take the cure in the hot springs, right? And, and the contrast is between that and the cold, pure waters of Colossae, which was another city which was near them and was really famous for its good water supply. Now, the water that, that the Laodiceans had so bad that it was right there it had to be piped in and so it was piped in from uh, Colossae but it had to travel for so far that by the time it arrived to the city it was it was lukewarm and it was really disgusting to drink and so the church in Laodicea was providing neither refreshment or for the spiritually weary or healing for the spiritually sick it was totally ineffective and thus it was distasteful to the Lord but they thought they had arrived. As wretched and pitiful and poor and blind, as naked as they were. 
Now, I have to tell you, there's some really good news in this passage. <laughs> you know, to have received this letter uh, must have really been devastating to them. I mean, they thought they had it all together, and then they get this letter. But verse 19 puts their condition into the right perspective when Jesus says this to them. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. You see, there was nothing flattering. There was nothing good to say about that church, except that God still loved them. And because he did, he disciplined them. He called them up short. He told them the truth about themselves, and he called them to repentance. And verse 18 gives us some insight into what that repentance would mean for that church. They were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus says to them, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And that gold refined by the fire is a faith that has stood the test. And the white clothes represent God's righteousness placed on us, covering our sin and our pride and our, and our, our blindness and our self-satisfied nature. And the salve is there to bring real things so that we, so that they could understand the truth about themselves. And you know they're told to buy those things from Jesus? But how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, just what do you have that you can give in exchange for these things? And just so that we're clear on this, um, these people are believers. They're already saved. So what it, is it that they have that Jesus could possibly want from them? Well, you remember Christ's answer um, on that uh, last week of his life when he was here on earth, when the religious leaders tried to trap him by asking him whether or not that they should pay taxes to Caesar. And what did Jesus say? He said this. He said, show me the coin used to pay the taxes. And so they brought him a denarius and they showed it. And, and he asked him, whose image is that on the coin? And, and it was Caesar's image. And so Jesus replied, says, well, they give to Caesar that image. That is his. It belongs to him. But give to God what belongs to him, which is his image, which is you and me. We are made in the image of God. And, and what God wants from us is us. All of us. Each of us and all of each of us. So if the Laodiceans would give themselves to God, if they would commit their way to him, if they were to return to him, then God would give them everything that they would really need to live the life of a committed Christian. You see, they hadn't lost their salvation, but they were out of friendship with God. That's a real meaning of what we read in verse 20 where he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And you know, eating is really just symbolic for fellowship or in our modern ears, a, a symbolic of friendship. These people belong to Christ. 
But in their self-sufficiency, they'd ushered him right out of their lives, and they did not even know it. But Christ wanted back in, and so he was knocking on the door of their heart, and he was revealing the truth to them, and he was calling them to repentance. Now, as I studied this letter, it raised two questions for me. The first one was, if it's true that, and it is true, that they were so blind that they didn't know the truth about themselves, how would they ever know it? I mean, if they were so blind right then, how could they be made to see again? And then the second question is, if that's true about that church in Laodicea, how do we know it's not true about us, about our church? How do we know that we are not really blind, that we really do see things clearly? Well, to answer the first question, our Lord had to address that church in Laodicea, and, and he did so through his word, and he did so with the convicting power of the Spirit of God. And it's only then that there is any hope of their eyes being opened. Left to themselves, they just make themselves blind. And so when a, a church or an individual finds themselves in that condition, the hope is, is that God will confront them in that condition and will convict their heart by the power of the Spirit. And, of course, that raised another question for me. I said, thought to myself, what would happen if, uh, if a pastor spoke this way about a church that was in this condition? I mean, if he confronted them in that condition, could he survive as their pastor? And I think the answer is yes under two conditions. First, if he's speaking the message which God intended, he would then have the aid of the Holy Spirit in convicting the hearts of those people. And secondly, if he spoke out of love and not out of mere frustration, he could, he could say what had to be said, and I think he could weather the storm. I said something very much like this to another church one time, and uh, to their credit, I think they paid attention and listen. But you know, even if a pastor didn't survive, he, he, if he fulfilled those two conditions, he would have served his God well, and he would have served that congregation well, even if they persisted in their ways. The answer to the second question is, uh, you know, how do we know it isn't true about us here at Y Bible Church? Maybe it's a little bit more difficult. And maybe we have to begin by answering that it's possible that we are blind to the truth, that we're like this church. I mean, it really is. Isn't it far too easy to rely upon ourselves and, and become satisfied with our spiritual condition? And I think that we have to admit that at times, at least, at least as individuals, we've set foot upon the road that this church traveled. Uh, we've relied upon ourselves instead of God and if we're not yet satisfied with our spiritual condition, still we have excused ourselves by saying, well, I'm just human. <laughs> that could be kind of a faint reflection here, maybe the beginning of a reflection. And I have to tell you, having admitted that possibility, I don't believe we're like this church at Laodicea at all. 
I really don't. And first, I believe that because as your pastor, if we were like this church, I, I believe, I hope God would have convicted me of that and then used me to deliver his message, just as he did to the Laodicean church back in the day of John. And secondly, I think the very fact that we can still see our faults means we're not too far down that road. You know, we don't think that we've arrived. We really understand that we need Jesus Christ. Again, I have to tell you, I think we're more like the church in Philadelphia than this church here in Laodicea. You know, the church in Philadelphia had a, an open door set before by Christ, a, a door which he opened that nothing or no one could shut. And Christ expected his people to go through that door, to walk through it by faith, for it's really the only way that you can go through it. And so that really brings us back to this church, <laughs> to why Bible Church. Either we are like the church in Philadelphia or not. And if you know we're not, then you've got to help me. Because I must be wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked because I don't see it. But if God really has opened a door for us, then your doubts are just that. They are doubts. And the cure for that is trust. It's faith. It means you have to go through that door. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know all that it means for me, but I'm pretty confident in this, that when you need to go through it, at every time opportunity you need to go through it, because there's going to be many opportunities for us as a church to go through that door, you're going to know it. Christ hasn't hidden that door. It's there. He's told us that, unless I'm just dead wrong, and he wants you to go through the door. But the first step is always the same. It's a willing heart. So you might not know right now, sitting where you are, what step God may want you to take. What, what he might want you to do. Someone he might want you to talk to. Some relationship he wants you to form. Some relationship he might bring you to the place where you want to find healing for. The first step is to say, Lord, I'm willing. Show me where you want me to go. And then trust him. Trust him to show you the way give you what you need to go where he wants. Unless I'm dead wrong. You turn the corner in the life of this church. I think we'll be seeing more and more the fruit of the Spirit here in our lives individually 
people coming to join what God is doing here. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thanks um, for your goodness to us. Thanks for uh, building your church. Thanks for bringing us together. Thanks for meeting with us time after time after time. Thanks for your word. Thanks for your intimate involvement in every one of our lives. Thanks for an open door. Help us to go through and find the blessing that waits on the other side. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.